broadcast. Speak my word is about to begin. Your host is Shannon Davis. And we are living in the time of the end. King Minus. We have ignition. We will be reading tonight from the King James Edition. Jesus told us to preach the gospel, cast out devils and lay hands on the sick. If you are not obeying him, you better act quick. He is coming back and we will all give a report. So obey Jesus so you don't come up short. Well, praise the Lord. I want to thank the $100 that just came in from a listener out there for BTR. Well, we may have this thing launched this week. We've got $140 now. We need about $260, and uh, that will pay for one year's worth of Blog Talk Radio. God richly bless you out there who have supported Omega Man Radio financially through your prayers, anything you can do to help us further this work. God bless you. Thank you. Okay, I just was checking where we pick up today on Speak My Word, and we have just finished the book of Genesis. We're going to be going into a whole new book today, the book of Exodus. And, you know, it's my goal. Really, we need to say beginning this week. Okay, let's just go ahead and do this. This week, I'm going to set a goal. Within the next 12 months, we're going to have read through the whole Bible together on this program and we'll do it a number of ways we'll be you know reading from the old we're going to do some new psalms proverbs we'll be mixing it up as we go along but we're going to get through the whole word and of course uh, you can follow the bible reading through these archives i will put down on the show title what we read for those that want to listen in the archive well let's open up this broadcast today in prayer Father, Yehovah, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I thank you for this opportunity today to read your word, to speak your word, as you've commanded us to do. Bless everyone who's come out live or in the MP3. We ask you, Father God, in Jesus Christ's name, that you would give us favor. We ask that you would open up new doors for everyone out there tuning in. God, guide and direct our paths. We acknowledge you today. Father Yehovah, make our paths straight in Jesus Christ's name. Open up the right doors for people. Close the wrong doors in Jesus' name. We invite the Holy Ghost to come tonight, Holy Ghost of God. We ask that you would illuminate the word. Teach us your word. Burn it into our memory into our spirit man that we will not sin against thee in Jesus Christ's mighty name we also bind every demonic force that is coming against anyone here tonight or our family Satan we rebuke you in Jesus name and all your foul spirits that command you to loose the people of God right now and go in Jesus name special mention tonight we lift up sister Jessica tonight God who you are healing And we ask in Jesus' name that you would loose strength and energy into her body. Let her recover, rehydrate what the enemy has stolen, God. We ask that he be made to pay back seven times what he stole from her. 
In Jesus Christ's mighty name, she will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord Jesus. We rebuke the spirit of death. It will go and she will recover 100% in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We pray tonight, Father God, asking you. Amen. Genesis 50, the last verse, 26. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. And they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Exodus chapter 1. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel. Israel, again, um, is the renaming by God of the man who was known as Jacob. God named him Israel. And if you and I will make it to the finish line, Jesus Christ is going to give each of us a new name. He will write it, it says, on a white stone and give it to you and only you, and he will know it. And I'm sure, of course, after that, uh, you could share it. I, I would think so. Um, I think that's how it would work. But that's exciting. What will he be renaming you or me? Now, these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt, every man and his household, came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, and all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls. For Joseph was in Egypt already, so there were twelve sons. The eleven that came in, Joseph was already there. He made the twelfth. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them. Unless they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom, and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, very hard work. And they made their lives bitter, with hard bondage, in mortar, and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. 
all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. They had some cruel taskmasters pushing them on and working them like strogens, as Granny used to say. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other Pua. And he said, When ye, again, when it says ye, it's talking to a group that is plural, not a single person, talking to them both. When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and seed them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then shall she shall live. Here this king is ordering the murder of the Hebrew boys. But the midwives feared God, and did not, as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing? Excuse me, and have saved the men children alive. And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively, and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. You know, by the time we're getting there, they're already delivered. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. Now you see, it was a an order from the government of Egypt. I want you, this king says, to kill the male Hebrew children. They didn't obey the king. This is called civil disobedience. They obeyed God. And how did God respond? He dealt well with the midwives. Not so if they had obeyed the king. You say, but aren't we to obey the law of the land? Yes, except when the laws and mandates that you and I are asked to bow to and submit to and obey come in direct conflict with the word of God and would cause us to go against God and his word. God's word trumps everything. We must obey God rather than men. Now there may be a price to pay for disobeying an order. And this is not the first time uh, people have been asked to do things that were wrong and uh, ran contrary to God and to righteousness. There were other times. Uh, there will be other times. This this may be the first account of it, rather, in the, in the, the word here, but um, there are other times. Let me put it like this. The Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they're not going to obey the government decree that says you must bow down to this idol and worship it. No. And there's going to come a time in our lifetime should we live long enough we're going to be asked to do things that are contrary to the word of God 
It may be to take that vaccination. The vaccines that are being given out that contain the mRNA, they literally change your DNA. And according to some schools of thought, permanently change and alter it. Does God want us altering the DNA? The God-imprinted image in our bodies? Overriding that program and putting man's code on top? I don't think so. Of course, each person do what they want to do. But I did not obey the last mandates or the you know the encouragement. I didn't see a time where they said uh, you will take this or we will kill you or we'll put you in jail. No, but there was a price to pay for those of us that did not do it. Here in Indonesia, I couldn't get into malls. I couldn't get on a plane and leave the country and then be able to get back in. I would have been blocked. Many things I couldn't do. Couldn't get into a bank one time. Almost got almost got picked up by two health police and I could have been thrown into a quarantine camp. I escaped. With some fast talking. As I was asked, uh, scan the QR code to show us that you are vaxxed if you want to get into this bank. Well, there's coming a time, should the Lord tarry, we'll be asked to take the mark and worship the image of the beast. Receive his name, receive his injection, probably is what it's going to be. And you're going to have to say no. Because do otherwise, you're going to be damned. When the little mark comes out, it hasn't come out yet. When it comes out, you're going to have to say no. And to say no, you're going to be locked out of the system. It'll be the Lord sustaining us or we won't survive. There's not any other way to do it. You're going to have to say no. And the government will say, well, then I'm going to throw you in jail or you can't buy or sell. Or I'm going to take your life at some point. Some of these countries will come to that. I'm not convinced it's going to be a worldwide system because uh, China and Russia are going to fight against the beast. I think it will probably be based in America and the EU. That's my inkling right now. It could be wrong. It's not a salvation doctrine, but wherever you happen to be, if it's forced, I mean, if they begin uh, to mandate it, you're going to have to say no. And there'll be a price to pay to say no. There was a price to pay for not complying with YouTube. We lost seven channels in partnership. We're going to come back. And I will not be talking about COVID or um, politics or they'll kill the channel again. But that's why we have a podcast. We can talk about anything we want here. Where am I going with this? When we are asked to do something that runs contrary to the Word of God, we have to say no. We have to say no. And God will back you up. He backed these midwives up. Why? Because they feared God. Do we fear God is the question. And maybe it hasn't become obvious yet to some out there. It was very obvious to me what the plan was. 
with this bioweapon that was released? Some have woken up that they made a mistake taking it. Well, don't be the fool by taking it again. If you know, it didn't help you, and it was bad, and the evidence has come out, yet the government seemed to be wanting to repeat it again. What's this that I heard today with Target? I read on the news that Target's, uh, they're setting up something where you're going to have to have your product delivered into the parking lot, or they... Are they closing their stores? What's up with that? i got to get some more detail on that. Mask mandate coming back? Rubber is about to meet the road over here where I'm at. God forbid. Schools here mandate kids have to be masked because I'll pull my son out of the school. Yeah, it'll be detrimental. But I'll have to find another way to school, homeschool. They don't really have homeschool here. So we're in a mess. I think maybe God will deliver us. I don't know. But we must obey God rather than men. Paul said, as he was told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Was it Paul or the other disciples? But you know the point where they were brought before the Sanhedrin. I think it was Paul that said that, but the other disciples, some of them also were brought before and told not to preach in the name of Jesus and beaten and released and they went out and preached again these midwives they feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them there's a time to say no to the government when they're asking us to violate the word of God right now in Canada and UK if you're preaching the word of God and you're talking about the sin of homosexuality, calling it what the Bible calls it sin, that if a person does not repent, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 says, isn't it? Along with other sins, you also miss heaven. Let's just be clear, fornication, adultery, drunkenness, etc. You can go to jail. They're jailing people. There's a price to pay. But we must obey God rather than men. Blessed are ye when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For great is your reward in heaven. We've already been told that persecution comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ. All those in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Is a servant greater than the master? is the question. No, we're not. Why then do we think that Jesus was persecuted and we're his servant? He's our master. And we're followers of him. And uh, we're not going to be persecuted when he says to expect it. I haven't yet been persecuted for Christ. But it's coming in my lifetime. And yours. Sure is the word is true I believe it and look at what the devil's doing and we're going to see a pattern where he's trying to murder the children he's very successful in America how many are murdering their children today 
I've heard some large numbers, as many as 20,000 children are murdered a day. Could it be that much in America? Nationwide? Oh, God. It's a miracle we haven't been judged yet and destroyed. With that or any number that we've got under our belt in America, murdering the children. We're doing the work of Satan for him. Can you believe what this king asked? Verse 20, Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. Satan doesn't want you to have children. He doesn't want anybody to have children. He hates all of us, all of mankind, because we're created in the image of God. And we have a redemption plan through the Lord Jesus Christ, His blood. He shed on the cross for you and I. If we repent of our sins and call the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be saved. Satan doesn't get that opportunity. He's screwed, and so are all his fallen angels. They're going to the lake of fire. It's just a matter of time. They hate God, and they're trying to inflict pain on God by going after his creation and leading as many people into hell with them as they're going to, to that place soon. And if he can kill the population, oh boy, he loves that. He wants to eliminate mankind. And look at how many uh, countries right now have population issues. Japan. There's not that many children being born now. There's more elderly than there are children. Japan as a nation will go extinct in a couple decades. It's predicted if something doesn't happen quick. You can watch the documentaries of whole uh, lots of schools that are just being shut down because there's no students. There's nobody to go to them because there's no babies being born and growing up. School after school shutting down. Reminds me of that movie. Um, Children of Men where there are no babies being born and No babies being delivered in hospitals. They're like empty. The maternity wards. People stopped having babies. There was some type of uh, genetic defect. Listen, I would not put it past these scientists who are who are being funded by the likes of Bill Gates and these other institutions funding Fauci. We know this. Creating bioweapons. And these people are eugenicists. Uh, Namely, I don't know about Fauci, but I know that um, Bill Gates is a dyed-in-the-wool eugenicist. His father was part of Planned Parenthood. They're about birth control and depopulation. All the leader about depopulation. They don't want children be born. And they want to kill the people that are already born and cull the herd down to 5.5 million. 
Georgia Guidestone said 500 million. The new update is 5.5 million, from what I've heard. So they need to run the planet. The rest they'll do with AI and robots. They literally look at you and I as cattle. Watch the movie Soylent Green. It starts at dehumanizing people. And then it gets to the point where they eat you. The end result. Raising people for cattle. For food. Cannibalism. The Nephilim were said to be cannibals. Many of the Native American tribes were cannibalistic. Many of the Mexican tribes, Aztecs, they they not only had human sacrifice as a part of their daily rituals, but they would eat people. Cannibals. Cannibalism is coming back. It will make a comeback. And uh, there's some people that are angry right now because they will not have their sriracha sauce to put on your thigh meat or your neck meat when they eat you. There is a shortage of sriracha sauce, by the way. If I had only known that, I would have stocked up and I'd be selling it on eBay right now. Man, did I miss the boat. I was watching that documentary. I was thinking, I wonder if I could get into uh, pepper farming and make my own sriracha sauce and export it. That stuff's like... uh, a bottle of sriracha sauce is, is worth uh, more than a silver coin right now. <laughs> Depopulation, eugenics. Oh, I missed the point. The point was I would not put it past eugenicists like Bill Gates and these others to already be putting in the next batch of vaccines. Sterilization components. Now, there is an ingredient, a chemical ingredient, in the injection for tetanus that was being given to pregnant women that would cause miscarriages. There are sterilization drugs already on the market uh, that have been disseminated through the efforts of Bill Gates and the WHO, reportedly. There are also sterilization drugs that can be given to you as a man and shrink your balls. They don't have to cut your gonads off. They just inject this and it will do a chemical castration. There are drugs that can give you a chemical lobotomy. I wonder if we're getting lobotomies bit by bit through the fluoride in the water. Makes you wonder. What's in our water supply? What's being put in the food supply? These people are diabolical. They're demon-possessed and directed. And the goal of demons is to kill you. The word of God will back me up. Satan cometh but for to kill, to steal, to destroy. How many people did he kill through the last bioweapon? the COVID-19 vaccinations, the remdesivir, the AZT before that, which was original 
invention of uh, Dr. Fauci. He was promoting back in the 80s and giving to people with HIV. They could have lived, but they took that. It killed them. Fast kill. His new killing serum is remdesivir. Take AZT or remdesivir, you're a dead man. In all likelihood. How many people do they kill with the uh, injections? These are murderers. They didn't kill enough, according to them. So they're trying to make a comeback. They're going to starve some of us, attacking the food supply. They're burning some some of them up, like in Maui. I don't believe that was an accident. That was contrived chaos. Said to be a thousand missing children that were burned alive over there in all likelihood. Murdered by the New World Order. The same murdering spirit that this king of Egypt had, he was trying to murder the Hebrew boys. They were all right with the girls because they would take them and use them as sex slaves and wives and impregnate them. But they didn't want any male sperm. They wanted the population just to die out. The devil doesn't want you and I to procreate either. He wants to kill you and your generations. He wants to kill mankind, every last one of us. But God, Satan comes to kill, still destroy. Jesus Christ came to give life and life more abundantly. Praise God. But God dealt well with the midwives because they did not obey the wicked decree. God will deal well with you and I. When we say no to mandates that run contrary to the word of God. You and I are told we can't preach the gospel. Or we go to jail, then we preach the gospel and go to jail. So be it can't buy or sell without the mark then we just don't buy and sell we'll have to trust God to drop manna but we're not going to buy or sell Uh, we're not going to take that mark to buy and sell we will not renounce the name of Jesus Christ we will not give up our Bibles recommend you don't give up your guns either it's the time if you don't have a sword to buy one protect your family when riots break out in Antifa and these LGBT uh, queer folk pedophiles begin to march on your city to go in there and try to rape everybody up in there say hello to my little friend my 12 gauge with double odd buck or my 357 magnum sir Yeah, you better go down the street because if you try to do that here, I will take you out. And then they'll take your body out in a body bag. A man who does not protect his family is worse than infidel. Protecting is part of providing. Providing defense. Providing food. Shelter.
And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. This was a wicked Pharaoh. He wanted people to throw them into the river Nile, where the alligators would eat them. The crocodiles, rather. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. He married out of the tribe. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, because if they had found him, the Egyptians, they would have taken that child from her, killed him. She could no longer hide him. She took for him an ark of bulrushes. Bulrushes would be like some reeds, I suppose. Probably be something like rattan, bamboo, something that you can mold. Definitely the rattan you can. They have rattan furniture here. You can take it and mold it and bend it and shape it. And uh, then you daub it with slime and with pitch. She created a, a basket that would float and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off, to wit, what should be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it up, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. She had compassion on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away, and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, in Hebrew, Moshe. She said, because I drew him out of the water. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way and when he saw that there was no man he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to them, 
that did the wrong. Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? Why are you hitting this man? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me? Is thou killed the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, it got back to Pharaoh, didn't it? He sought to slay Moses. Moses had no choice. He had to go. Get out of there before they got him. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now Midian is um, over there in the area of Saudi Arabia today. I understand it. So he would have crossed the Red Sea, got over there into uh, into Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water. A lot of guys finding women down there at the water well. Do we have any water wells in America for any single guys out there? That may be where you go down and get a wife. <laughs> That's where Isaac's wife was found, right? Now, they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to Reol, their father, and he said, How is it that ye are come so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of these shepherds and also drew water enough for us. So when they looked upon um, Moses, I suppose he, he was dressed in the, um, the garments of an Egyptian, may, may had the face paint. I don't know. He probably had a haircut like one of those Egyptians. Because he's Hebrew and they associate him as being an Egyptian, so yeah. I bet he was dressed pretty well too because he was of the royal house. He would have had the best. An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds. And also drew water enough for us, and watered the flock. And he said unto his daughters, And and where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? So the father was talking to uh, a group of these ladies. Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. Wow! Wow! Moses just got him a bride. And she bare him a son. And he called his name Gershom. Gershom. I think I knew an attorney one time named Michael Gershom. For he said, 
I have been a stranger in a strange land. Peter Whiffen would know what that uh, definition was. The definition of Gershom. It means, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. You know, names have significance. Maybe not so much in America, or always, maybe with some people, they realize there is significance with names. I asked my mom, why why did you name me Shannon? I was born in 69. Uh, it was not a, um, a common name back then. A common name for girls, sadly, today. Well, you're dead. She, Mom told me, you, you're dead. I like that name. I said, okay. My brother's name was Damon. Where'd they get these names? And most people call my brother Damien. <laughs> I always get his name wrong. Um, of course, my middle name is Ray. I was named after my father, Ray Davis, Wallace Ray Davis. And then Damon, he was named after Sean Connery, the actor, dead like Sean Connery. So uh, his middle name is S-E-A-N. Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I'm sure there's a definition for these names. I know Ray can can mean the king. I received that. Uh, but you see with the naming here in the Word of God of people from Moses to Gershom to uh, you know Jacob and you know all these names, um, they all mean something. Their significance. One name may be, you know, the Lord has given me comfort. Uh, I will tell you this, that uh, God told us exactly what to call our three children here. I mean, that's a supernatural feat right there. Three times he did it. I've told the story many times. I won't do it again, but... um, There is a significance in names. Yes. Well, Moses over in Saudi Arabia, in the in Midian right now. He's taken a wife, Zipporah. He's just had his first child, a son, Gershom. For he said, "I've been a stranger in a strange land." It came to pass, in process of time, it was a while he was out there, that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Ishmael. No. No, it wasn't Ishmael. It was Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob covenant that I'm going to give you so and so land and God lays it out the land and he says I'm going to multiply you like the stars of heaven a multitude that can't even be numbered that's why David gets in trouble later trying to number them God said they won't be numbered in his pride he thought he would number them now and God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them 
I'm just taking my time here. Um, what's very interesting is I was on YouTube, which is typically where I'm at with my Roku box. My brother Cameron told me about Roku back in uh, 2010. And um, it's been around a long time. You can get it down at Walmart, get it online at Amazon if you've never had one. They're a great little box. And uh, just hook it to your computer. You can do a Wi-Fi version, but I run an Ethernet cable from that to my Internet router, so I get broadband on it. I don't have to worry about buffering. And um, you can download many channels. One of them is YouTube, and I watch YouTube on my big screen. Why do you want to watch YouTube on a little small mobile phone when you can watch it on your TV? You know what I'm saying? Anyway, um, we can find most of the things we might want to look at on YouTube and um, I'm up there just scanning my feed and lo and behold this is timely there is a video that talks about the actual name of the Pharaoh during the time of Joseph and the uh, Pharaoh's son, uh, who was killed, or will be later on here in the book of Exodus when the plagues of Egypt begin to pour out. And there's always been some type of you know debate, uh, who was it? You know, uh, Why can't we find out the name of these pharaohs? Well, you can. But, take some digging. And, uh, of course, Egypt doesn't want to admit <clears throat> to the biblical account. Uh, so they, they might try to say that, you know, a lot of this is mythology. You know, there's always those that try to discount the word of God. Well, let the word of God be true and every man a liar. Amen. Um, I'm looking for the video. I, I saw actually two of them today. And uh, I thought it was really cool and I might have to defer and uh, play that another time but I'm going I'm going to dig it out and I, probably what I'll do is I'll do it later this week but the actual names of the Pharaoh who Joseph was number two with and the name of uh, the son that uh, succeeded him and uh, we even get down to the issue of Ramses was the guy's name Ramses? Or was Ramses later in the account? All this is covered uh, with some pretty amazing stuff. And part of the uh, evidence that gives us a name comes out of Josephus. Josephus fingers that guy. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, and, you, and you begin to match things up and you, you find out who is who. It's not a mystery anymore. Or it doesn't have to be. give you a hint, a minotip. But there was three minotips. Which one are we talking about? Okay. We are in the book of Exodus. And you know what? I feel strong enough I want to keep going, but I'm going to take a break. And uh, we're going to take a song break. Come back and read some more for those that would like to stick with us. Okay, right after this commercial, we fast forward here. I found it. I'm going to interrupt our music by Savinovsky. Check out his channel. 
Um, before we continue, I'm just going to play this. I hope you enjoy it because it fits in with what we're talking about. And it answers a question that I have been looking for an answer for for a very long time. Hi, everyone. Uh, I just got back from a long trip to Egypt, and I was going to the sites that have to do with the biblical event of the... This is Expedition Bible Channel. I'll put a link in the notes. Exodus. Archaeology is the study of the ancient people from what they've left behind. And one thing that the pharaohs have left behind is themselves in their mummified remains. And so you go into the museum, into the royal mummy room, and here are the pharaohs of old. I'm used to looking at uh, pottery that dates to the time of a king. It's really intriguing when you're looking at the kings themselves. Of these royal mummies, which one was the Pharaoh of the Exodus? And this is hotly debated to this day, but here's the thing. If you just follow what the Bible says, if you just follow the evidence, then the answer to this question is actually straightforward and clear. Don't forget to hit that subscription button. And I wanted to thank everybody that's been leaving comments in the video comment section about my book. I appreciate that very much. And I will leave a link in the description where you can order a copy of my book, Where God Came Down, The Archaeological Evidence. Okay, so if we're going to talk about the Pharaoh of the Exodus, then we need to talk about the historian Manetho, because he's an extra-biblical source for the Exodus. Now, the writings of Manetho are lost to us, uh, except through the quotes from later writers. And the earliest of those writers is the first century Jewish historian Josephus. This is the complete works of Josephus. And in it, Josephus wrote that one of Egypt's principal writers was Manetho, who was by birth an Egyptian. He wrote a history of his own country in the Greek tongue, out of their sacred records. Josephus says of Manetho, I will set down his very words as if I were to bring the very man himself into a court for a witness. Okay, so what Josephus is saying here uh, is that the A.D. 1st century historian Josephus is directly quoting the earlier 3rd century B.C. historian Manetho, who has written a history of Egypt using these much earlier Egyptian records. There's no doubt that Manetho wrote about the Israelites, because he described a people whose leader was called Moses, who were captives in Egypt. But when they went out of that country, they built a city in Judea and called it Jerusalem. Then Manetho says that these people took their journey from Egypt during the reign of Amenophis, the king of Egypt. Amenophis is the Greek form of the Egyptian name Amenhotep. So in Josephus, we are given a quote from Manetho where he names the Pharaoh of the Exodus. This is huge. Josephus doesn't know the name Amenhotep. He only knows it because he's quoting Manetho. And Manetho knows the name Amenhotep because he has access to these early Egyptian records. So the name Amenhotep, the Pharaoh of the Exodus, is coming from these earlier records. 
and being recorded in the history of Egypt written by Manetho in the 3rd century BC and then quoted in AD 1st century by the historian Josephus. This is an incredible source that lets us know the name of the Exodus Pharaoh. In Egypt, I met up with one of my good friends and colleagues, archaeologist Dr. Titus Kennedy, and one of the sites that we traveled to was the ancient site of Heliopolis. This is where Manetho served as a priest and where he wrote his history of Egypt. We're here at Heliopolis, the city of the sun. Now, this city is important for many reasons, but one of those is that there was a priest here who lived in the 4th and 3rd century BC named Manetho, who was one of the foremost historians for ancient Egypt. And in his writings, Manetho tells us that the pharaoh of the Exodus was someone named Amenhotep. The pharaohs that are named Amenhotep are found in the 18th dynasty. And so in the 18th dynasty, you have Amenhotep the first, second, third, etc. And so which one of these is the one that Manetho is referring to? And the best way to figure this out is to use the biblical date of the Exodus, which is found in 1 Kings 6.1. 1 Kings 6.1 says, In the 480th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. So there's 480 years between these two events, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, the Exodus, and the fourth year of Solomon's reign. It's very well established that the fourth year of Solomon's reign is 966 B.C. So to get the date of the Exodus, all we have to do is add 480 years to 966 B.C. and we get 1446 B.C., which is the biblical date of the Exodus. Now we can turn our attention back to the Egyptian chronology and we can ask the simple question. Is there a pharaoh named Amenhotep? that is reigning during the biblical date, 1446 B.C. Amenhotep I reigned from 1546 to 1526. His reign is too early. Amenhotep III reigned too late, from 1414 to 1377 B.C. In between them, Amenhotep II reigned from 1450 to 1423. And so the biblical date of 1446 B.C. for the Exodus falls within the reign of Amenhotep II. The Amenhotep that Manetho is writing about must be Amenhotep II because the dates of his reign are in sync with the biblical date of the Exodus. There's additional information from other verses in the Bible that can also be used to further test Amenhotep II. For example, in Exodus, it talks about the Pharaoh that reigns before the Exodus Pharaoh, and he is often referred to as the Pharaoh of the oppression. In the book of Exodus, we are told this, Pharaoh tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. During that long period, the king of Egypt died, before the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is retelling how Moses fled to Midian. But then, after 40 years had passed, he returned to Egypt. We can test this then with Amenhotep II. Did the predecessor of Amenhotep II reign for more than 40 years? Well, his predecessor was his father, uh, Thutmose III. And Thutmose III had a reign of 54 years. He's the only pharaoh in uh, the 18th dynasty that had a reign for more than 40 years. So Amenhotep II passes this test. Exodus 11.5 says of the 10th plague that every firstborn son in Egypt will die. 
including the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne. If Amenhotep II is the Exodus Pharaoh, then his firstborn son should have died in the 10th plague. And so the successor of Amenhotep II is his son Thutmose IV, who is not his firstborn son. His firstborn son died mysteriously, we know from the Egyptian records. This is the Great Sphinx at Giza. Between the paws of the Sphinx is what's called the Sphinx Dream Stele. This was commissioned by Pharaoh Thutmose IV, who told a story about he came down to the Sphinx, he took a nap, and while he was sleeping, the gods came to him in a dream, and they promised to him that he would become the next Pharaoh. This was strange because he had an older brother who was the crown prince, but this older brother had mysteriously died and disappeared from history. This was propaganda. He used the gods to give him divine legitimacy when he wasn't expected to become the next pharaoh. So we have uh, Amenhotep II passing these tests, these biblical criteria, because uh, his predecessor reigned for over 40 years and the one who succeeded him to the throne was not his firstborn son. Next, we travel deep into the region of the Delta to the ancient site of Averis. One of the main excavators of Averis is the Austrian archaeologist Manfred Bietok, and he's the one that excavated the 18th dynasty palace there. So we are here at Averis, and this is where the palace of Amenhotep II uh, was uh, discovered and excavated. Yeah, starts in that corner essentially. Yeah, and then comes over like this. So we're just out in an agricultural field right here. This is all that's left. We can see pottery around. We can see a few foundation stones around, but this is where the 18th Dynasty Palace stood in this field underneath our feet and behind me here. But this is, this is a palace that has been discovered and this is a palace that has been excavated. How long have they been excavating in this area? About 60 years. And yet there's like nothing hardly to see here. Um, it's just all been turned back into agricultural fields. Yeah, mostly pottery and maps. Betok reported that the archaeology demonstrated that the occupation of this palace covers the time from Amos to Amenhotep II. This palace complex was occupied through the reigns of Thutmose III and Amenhotep II when it was suddenly and mysteriously abandoned. So the excavations at the 18th Dynasty Palace in Averis provided then archeological evidence to support Amenhotep II as the Exodus Pharaoh. One of the most impressive pharaohs in all of Egyptian history is the pharaoh Ramses II. And so it was very early on that Egyptologists started to propose that Ramses II must have some connection with the Exodus. I am here at Memphis. This is the first capital of Egypt. And below me is this colossal statue of Ramses II who built this site up during his reign.
Now, the biggest problem with Ramses II being the Exodus pharaoh is time, because、uh, Ramses II did not start his reign until 1279 BC. So this is 167 years later than 1446 BC, which is the biblical date for the Exodus. And remember that the predecessor to the Exodus Pharaoh has to have a reign of more than forty years. The predecessor of Ramses II is Seti I, and he reigned from 1290 to 1279 BC, which is just a reign of eleven years. So he fails the test. Now Ramses II does have a very long reign of sixty-six years, and so is he the Pharaoh of the Oppression. Well, the problem here is that would make his successor Merneptah the Pharaoh of the Exodus. And the Exodus Pharaoh can't have their firstborn son inherit their throne because he would have died in the tenth plague.、Uh, the successor to Merneptah is Seti II, and he is his firstborn son. So the reason that Ramses II can't be connected to the Exodus is because he fails all these tests. If he failed just one of these criteria, then he would be disqualified as a candidate. But he fails on all counts. So now I'm going to give my general views of the debate that's been going on for a long time between the early date and the late date. The early date for the Exodus is in the 15th century BC. The late date is in the 13th century BC, and this is Amenhotep II versus Ramses II as Pharaoh of the Exodus. The main verse that's used for the late date is Exodus 111, and here we have the Israelites under slave masters who build a store city named Ramses, and so the idea is that this city named Ramses is connected. To the Pharaoh Ramses II, and therefore the Exodus must date to his time. Avaris was established in the 12th dynasty, but in the 19th dynasty to the north, a new city and palace emerged called P. Ramses. Now, in the Book of Exodus, we see that one of the store cities that's built is called Ramses. Some have explained this as scribal updating later on. But there's a possibility that this area was also called Ramses during the 18th dynasty. Now it's important to understand that Exodus 111 is not in conflict with the early date. So even if the name Ramses is a late name for the city, it's still not a problem for the early date because sometimes the Bible uses later names for cities in place of earlier ones. A good example of this is the city of Dan. In Judges 18, we have the Danites capture and rebuild a city, and then they name it Dan after their ancestor, though it had formerly been called Laish.、Uh, then we can go back in time, all the way back to Genesis 14:14, 14, which tells us that Abram went as far as Dan. So here we have a clear example of the later name for the city Dan. Replacing the earlier name Laish,、uh, and this is done because the Israelites were more familiar with the name Dan. And so this is what may be going on in Exodus 111, where we have possibly the later name for the city Ramses being used instead of the earlier name. Just as we wouldn't date Abram using the name of the city Dan in Genesis 14:14, so we shouldn't date the Exodus by the name of the city Ramses in Exodus 111. The main verse, as we've already covered, for the early date is First Kings six one. This is a real problem for the late date, and so the way that they、uh, argue against First Kings six one is they say that the four hundred and eighty years that's mentioned there、uh, shouldn't be taken literally. It's not a literal number. 
what this is really talking about, they argue, is 12 generations of 40 years. But then they say 40 years is too long for a generation. It really should be 25 years. Well, 12 times 25 is 300 years. So if you reduce 480 years in 1 Kings 6 1 down to 300 years, then you've moved uh, the whole chronology 180 years later in time, and then it fits the reign of Ramses II. Before the late date theory came along, nobody read 1 Kings 6 1 and, and read 480 years and said, oh, I, I get it, that really means 300 years. This is a reinterpretation of this verse, and it's agenda-driven. So what's the agenda? The agenda is to make Ramses II the pharaoh of the Exodus. Now there's another problem with the late date with Judges 11.26. So in Judges 11.26, we have Jephthah who says, For 300 years Israel has occupied the land east of the Jordan. This took place around 1100 B.C. When you add 300 years to 1100 B.C., you get 1400 B.C., add the 40 years of wilderness wandering, and then you get this mid-15th century B.C. date for the Exodus, which is in agreement with the mid-15th century date of the Exodus from 1 Kings 6.1. So since Judges 11.26 also gives a 15th century B.C. date for the Exodus, then the late-date scholars have to present their arguments against it. So what they say is that Jephthah is uh, unreliable. And the reason that they give is that he calls in verse 24 the name of the Ammonite god Kamosh, whereas later in the Bible, for example, in uh, 1 Kings 11.5, the name of the Ammonite god is given as Moloch. So Jephthah can't be trusted. He gives the wrong name of the god of the Ammonites. And so therefore, in verse 26, when he says this 300 years, you can't trust that 300 years as being accurate. Well, this is this is actually from Jephthah, a very important information about the Ammonites. He's telling us that earlier in their history they worshipped the god Kamosh, which makes sense because that's the god that the Moabites worship, and the Ammonites and the Moabites are brother nations uh, that come from Lot. And so um, they worshipped uh, early in their history. Kamosh, and then later they changed and adopted, for whatever reason, the worship of the Amorite god Moloch. Well, historically, nations sometimes change their gods. A few examples of this is Babylon. Babylon changed their god. Nebuchadnezzar worshipped Marduk, and then Nabonidus led the people to worship the god Sin. Egypt changed its god during the reign of Akhenaten, and the Israelite prophets are almost constantly rebuking the Israelites for changing their god, right? Because they've forsaken their god, who delivered them out of Egypt and are worshiping these other gods. So this is not any kind of proof uh, that that uh, Jephthah is being unreliable when he gives us the number 300. And again, these two uh, verses, 1 Kings 6.1 and Judges 11.26, complement each other. They confirm each other. It's very powerful evidence. And this is the same argument that these scholars use against Acts chapter 7 and the testimony of Stephen. He's unreliable. He's untrustworthy. They need to say this because Stephen gives information 
that contradicts Ramses II as being the Pharaoh of the Exodus because he says that Moses returns to Egypt after 40 years had passed, which means that the predecessor, as we've looked at already, uh, of the Exodus Pharaoh needs to have reigned for more than 40 years. And the predecessor for Ramses II only reigned for 11 years. So they say the same thing. Well, Stephen's testimony is unreliable. It can't be trusted. And that's just simply not the case. So Manetho is a big problem for the late date. uh, Because he doesn't name Ramses as the pharaoh of the Exodus. He names Amenhotep. Uh, So guess what the late date scholars say about Manetho? You guessed it. He's unreliable. Uh, And so the argument that they use against him is that uh, there's these variants. Now, of course, uh, for many ancient sources and ancient texts, there's later variants. Um, That's why we have textual criticism, uh, which is identifying those variants and trying to get as close as possible to the original. The general understanding for ancient texts is the earlier texts are usually considered more reliable than the later ones. And so of all the historians that quote Manetho, by far the earliest is Josephus. And everything that we've covered comes directly out of Josephus. Uh, The other problem with Manetho being unreliable is that um, to this day, the framework for, uh, for the history, laying out the history of ancient Egypt with these 30 dynasties that ruled over Egypt, Uh, That all comes from Manetho. And so it really doesn't work just to write Manetho off as being unreliable. And in addition to all of this, we have the archaeology from Averis, which shows that the 18th dynasty palace came to an end during the reign of Amenhotep II. Uh, The palace of the 19th dynasty in P. Ramses uh, didn't start with Ramses II, nor did it end after his reign. Really, uh, the reality is is that the evidence for the date and the pharaoh of the Exodus is stacked on the early date side. This is the mummy of Amenhotep II, and the evidence is clear that he was the pharaoh of the Exodus. What is the archaeological evidence for the Exodus? Well, here's something. Uh, the mummy of Amenhotep II. According to the evidence, when you're looking at the mummy of Amenhotep II, you're looking at the very man who dealt with Moses, who hardened his heart and wouldn't let God's people go, who went through the ten plagues. This is the Pharaoh whom God delivered his people from. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button. I'll leave a link in the description where you can order a copy of my book. Uh, You can watch other videos that we produced here. And thanks for watching. I'll catch you next time. Okay, that was from Expedition Bible YouTube channel. It's called The Exodus Pharaoh Explained. So I think it's important that I stop to play that because uh, that gives us um, information which is timely for what we're reading here as we're going into Exodus. What was the name of this Pharaoh? that had put in the order to slay uh, Amenhotep II apparently, right? Is that what I'm hearing from this? Okay, this is this is great to have a name. Uh, if you look at the video, you're going to actually see 
you're going to see the picture of this guy. They've got his mummy. All right. We're in Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of Jehovah appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great thing, why the bush is not burnt. I mean, this was not a common thing. He sees a bush, it's burning. I mean, it's on fire, but it's not burning. What's going on here? I'd be curious too. And when Yehovah saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. I think that's the way we want to answer the Lord if he ever called us by name. Uh, Moses answered the Lord that way. Also, Samuel. Isn't that what uh, Eli the prophet tells the young prophet Samuel, who God is calling to from his bed, Samuel? He says, next time you hear the voice say, Here I am, Lord, your servant heareth. Here am I. I'd be excited if I hear God call my name. Has he ever called your name? Hasn't called my name yet, audibly. But I'd be pretty awesome. So remember, say, here am I. <laughs> and he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And Jehovah said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Folks, this is God speaking in his word. And look at how he refers to the nations of Israel. The nations being the tribes, the twelve tribes of Israel, 
I call the nations that would include everybody born of those tribes. He calls them my people. And we have a literal nation where some of that land is in the possession of the Israelis, the Jewish people, the other tribes that have come back. They don't have it all yet. And we got people in the church wanting to attack Israel. You understand what is happening when you attack Israel? You're attacking God's people. Now, when we come to Christ, we're also included in God's people, the commonwealth of Israel, Jew and Gentile believers, grafted in. But God has declared his word. And he's going to see his word through to the very end. If he says Israel is going to inherit the land, and you look down the road in prophecy, it says there's coming a day where they're going to be in the land, all of it, that God gave them, and no one will ever take it away from them again, disenfranchise them. God's going to carry out his word. You think you want to get in the way of that? Because there's people getting in the way of God's plans. Not going to stop God, but he's going to stop these people. You don't want to get in God's way. Very dangerous. And they say, oh, well, God, you don't know what you're doing. You didn't uh, include any of those Palestinians over there and these other groups. Uh, we, we think you thought wrong, God. You screwed up. That's what they're really saying. And uh, we don't agree with you. We're going to decide who gets what. That's what the United Nations of the world are doing right now. And that's what people are saying that they know better than God what he is to do with his own land. Folks, a dangerous thing to get in the way of God. It will be destruction in the lake of fire. Well, now let me use another word. You're not destroyed in the lake of fire. That's the second death. It'll be burning alive in the lake of fire for eternity. There's, there's no wind. There's no annihilation. There's no, you get thrown in there, poof, you're gone. It's the end of your sorrows. No, it's everlasting fire. The smoke of their torment ascends up day and night forever. And that's what's going to happen to people that hate Israel, hate the Jewish people. Genesis 12, 3, if you bless my people, talking about Israel, I'll bless you. If you curse my people, I'm going to curse you. It's a blessing or curse even available to you and I today doesn't mean you have to agree with politics because we've got bad politics going on there as it is in America and everywhere else. Gay parades, you name it, but it's not what I'm talking about when I say support is. You don't have to support sin, but you support the right, okay, unconditionally of the Israeli people and nation to have everything that God gave them as part of his covenant. If you want to try to get in the way of that, you're insane in the membrane. And I'm going to play that song again later. Repent. So you can come out of that curse. You don't want to curse yourself because you will curse yourself if you attack Israel. Mark my words. Mark the word of God over there in Genesis 12.3 if you don't believe me. Okay. God's saying right here. His people. 
his people today. Don't let anybody kid you. He'll judge the individuals, believe me, that don't want to serve him from all nations. We're all going to be judged, even Christians, at the judgment seat of Christ. You still want to be at the great white throne judgment. That means you didn't know Christ, and your judgment will be to be thrown into the lake of fire. You don't have to go there tonight. That was created for the devil and his angels. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight while he may be found. All who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, it says you shall be saved. Praise God. There's hope tonight. And if you have attacked Israel in the past, you've been one of those Jew haters. Repent for having the spirit of Adolf Hitler in you. Ask God to forgive you. And you ask God to bless Israel and the Jewish people. And that God will lift that curse that came on you for a curse in Israel. You want the blessing, not the curse. I'm here to tell you. Stand with Israel, even as the whole world is standing against them. In Jesus' name. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people. Who are they? The children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. Ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And that translated into Hebrew is Yehovah. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, has sent unto you. Short version of that is Yah. Yahovah, I'm almost certain. This is the direct translation here in verse 14. According to the research of Nehemia Gord. Of course, we know that capital L-O-R-D means Yahovah also. And God said more of unto Moses. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Yahovah, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever. There it is, right there. And this is my memorial unto all generations. God wants us to know his name. He told Moses to tell the people when they ask you. It's not Allah. It's not Buddha. It's not Joseph Smith. It's not Lucifer. It's Yehovah. That's the actual pronunciation. Although we know it in the West is Jehovah. You would spell it uh, in the in the King James a couple times. It spells it J E H O V A H. It's correct. The Hebrew though is with a Y. 
because there is no J in Hebrew. But that's the English transliteration, so no problem. But if you want to be uh, exact, Y-E-H-O-V-A-H. It's not Yahweh. There's no Hebrew Torah scrolls that the Masoretic Hebrew text that will back up Yahweh, but thousands that bear witness to Yehovah. The King James had it right. But on my bucket list, and I prayed and asked God for permission today, again, because it came to me, I need to do it. I want to do it, so if God gives me permission, I believe he will, I'm going to take the King James. And wherever you see the capital L-O-R-D, I'm going to put God's name back in there. For whatever reason, the English translators just obfuscated there. In most places. Right here is where you'd put it. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that is a placeholder for the Hebrew name Yehovah. Yehovah. Who is he? He's God. God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, Yehovah, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. All these groups, they've got to run out of the land. They were occupied. Very soon no more. This is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Now, I believe it is Stan Johnson who brought out that he believes what it's talking about here with milk and honey is actually oil. And he does a program today, in fact, uh, it was yesterday's program, uh, or this morning, rather, he posted, that uh, that's one of the prophecies to be fulfilled that God showed Prophetess Leslie Johnson, and he showed others too. Uh, There will be a discovery of oil in Israel. Boy, that is going to be a game changer. Because right now, we know who's got it, Saudi Arabia. Wait till Israel strikes oil. Liquid gold, Texas tea. You know, flows like honey. And they shall hearken to the, thy voice. And thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. Who? Amenhotep II. Amenhotep II. You can look at him in that video we're going to post from the gentleman over there at the Expedition Bible. Great video. Encourage you to subscribe to his channel. You shall say unto him, Yahovah, God of the Hebrews, hath met with us. And now let us go. We beseech thee. Three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahovah, our God. And I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders. They're literally going to be astonished. 
with ten plagues, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Shall come to pass that when ye go, talking about the group of Israel, all of them, ye shall not go empty. Remember, they're slaves right now. They've been baking bricks. Yep. And doing other hard labor. You know, there are people in modern times who are baking bricks. There are Christians that have been enslaved by Muslim that they have taken loans from. The problem is they took a loan, they couldn't pay it back, so they had to sell themselves into indentured slavery. Means you're going to work for me until you pay off a debt. And how long is that role really? As long as long as they say it's going to be. And there's old men over there. And their 80s and 90s baking bricks. And uh, Peter Whiffen brought this to my attention some years ago. And he had made contact with a lady who was a go-between with the Muslim uh, slave slave masters and they had successfully been able to buy the freedom of a family and some of y'all remember that program and I got involved with them and we actually um, I know at least on one I was partnered a participant and we um, were able to buy a guy's freedom some of you pitched in for that as well and there's people that are doing that regularly there's apparently a lot of people that were sold into slavery that is a <clears throat> really makes the Bible real when it says the borrower is borrower is slave to the lender. There are literal people right now baking bricks in Pakistan, and they're given enough to live, and that's about it. And a little bit goes on their debt, and some of them just die in captivity. Well, the nation of Israel is in captivity right now by a taskmaster, Amenhotep II, the pharaoh of Egypt, the pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And God is telling Moses how this is going to go down. When you come out, you will not go empty. In other words, you will not only be released, but I'm going to load you up. You're going to get some back pay, really, is what it is, for 400 years. You're going to get your wages, I would call it. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters and ye shall spoil oh I like that word the Egyptians we're going to stop right there Hope you are enjoying our Bible readings, we call it, by what God commissioned this program to do, speak my word. We'll put this up in the archives. I'm going to endeavor to get through the Bible in a year and uh, join me on that journey, if you'd like to, right here on Omega Man Radio. Father Yehovah, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we thank you that we know your name. We do not have to be confused anymore. We know your name and your son's name. 
as the riddle asks. Your son is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, in Hebrew, Yeshua HaMashiach. I thank you, Father Yehovah, for this opportunity to participate in this podcast and do this program. Thank you for this job you've given me. Bless everybody, God, who's come out live or in the MP3. Special blessing, I pray, God, that you would give on anyone who has supported this program because with their help we've been able to continue. However, God, financially, prayer, they promoted the program, anything they did within their ability to help us continue this show. God, bless them mightily. Give them great fruit, even a hundredfold reward in Jesus Christ's name. Here and in your kingdom come. Again, we lift up Jessica to you tonight. We bind every demonic force that has tried to slow her down. Command those spirits to loose her and go. And we speak to her, be healed and made whole in Jesus Christ's name. God, loose your healing ministering angels to revive her right now. She's been very weak. Raise her back up, God. According to the prayer of faith that was prayed yesterday for her healing, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the name above every name. Amen. Folks, thank you for tuning in. Again, I want to thank all of you who come out here when you can live. And don't forget, we have the archive. If you miss the shows, you want to get them, they're free. Thank you again for uh, your help. We have, uh, as we speak right now, $140 out of the 400 that we need to turn back on Blog Talk Radio. And when I say turn it on, we're just going to pay for it for a year. No more payments. Uh, we're paying as we go. If we got the money, we'll do it. And um, I believe that's going to happen. That's not really a great sum uh, so to worry about. Um, and uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, just put BTR in, your, in the notes of the giving. Anything else just goes into general funds, which is uh, we still need help um, above and beyond blog talk radio. So thank you to those that are helping us. And if uh, you haven't come on board yet, would like to help uh, fuel this work. We're planting seed. Yes, we are. To win souls for Jesus. Uh, There is a harvest coming, and if you help us bake that bread, you get to eat it too. So anyone who's given uh, will share in the harvest of souls and anything good that comes out of this program. And God's keeping keeping the accounting records anyway, so God keeps good books. Um, It's a great way to um, to help us um, continue this work. So thank you. Okay. That's all I have to say. OmegaManRadio.com is our website. And uh, love you all. We'll see you again tomorrow. We're going to have Elvis Newhart on tomorrow. Who else we got on tomorrow? Let me check real quick. Okay. Um, Elvis Newhart, Gary Stafford, and the guest John Terrell. Friday, Dr. Hansen, Joseph Ferrara, Brian Melvin. And... Um, well, I have another week to go, and we're going to go into September. So it this week and next, I'm going to really crank up um, September. We're also going to confirm we're going to have Gary Wayne on next week. He's written some books on the Nephilim, cutting-edge research. He's in a cabin right now at a remote location, but he's got Skype, and um, he's working on his newest book, probably finishing it up as we speak. He told me, put me on for the end of August we'll do a program so I'm looking really forward to having Gary Wayne on next week 
Lou Young will be back next week. Much, much more. Okay, folks, love you all. God bless you in Jesus' name.